The scripture reading for today is from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warmed in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pause and pray together again. Father, your Holy Spirit inspired the words of Scripture. We need him again to illumine those words, to shine light on them so that we understand them, to shine light from them into our hearts and minds. And we ask that he would do that for us today. In Christ's name, amen. You know, it's been, it's been said before that those who go to heaven will be surprised when they get there by two things. Uh, first, they will be surprised by the presence of certain people that they did not expect to see in the kingdom of heaven. And secondly, they will be surprised by the absence of other people who they just always assumed would be at the head of the line, right? In other words, at the end of the age, we will find ourselves surprised both by the expansiveness and also by the elusiveness of God's mercy. Guys, God's mercy is expansive. Here's what I mean by that. I mean the mercy of God spreads far and wide and reaches to just the most unlikely places, the most unlikely people, and yet... God's mercy is also elusive. The mercy of God can be right in front of you your entire life, staring you in the face, and, and you can miss it. It can slip right through your fingers. And that's, that's what we see illustrated in, in today's passage. We see the expansiveness and the elusiveness of the mercy of God. So let, let me talk through that. First, um, God's mercy is expansive. In His mercy, God, God reaches far and wide. In today's passage, I think you could say that the most unlikely people that you can imagine are brought by God to faith in His Son. 
Verse 1 says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Now, nobody's exactly sure what's meant by that phrase, Magi, but most scholars think that this is probably referring to a priestly class of pagan scholars, either from modern-day Iran or modern-day Iraq, who were experts in their culture. They were experts in religion, philosophy, the magic arts, and in astrology. They were not Jewish. They were not uh, trained in scriptures. They were not worshipers of the living God. They were not members of God's covenant people. They, they, in fact, the Magi, they were descendants of the same kinds of people who had once conquered Israel. If you were a nice Jewish kid in the first century, your mother would not want you hanging out with Magi. Right? These were the kind of people you would avoid. These were the kinds of people whose influence you would fear in your family. It says here that Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. So let me ask you, isn't that crazy? Isn't that just wild? These are, these are the, probably the most unlikely people in the entire world. And you know what? These are the first people in the New Testament who are said to have actually worshipped Jesus. The most unlikely people in the world are the first ones to bow down before him and worship. In John 6, verse 44, Jesus said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. In, in other words, whenever anyone comes with genuine faith to Christ, it, they're not coming out of their own effort or their own ingenuity. In some sense, God himself has brought them to his son. So that means that God is the one who drew these pagan magi to Jesus. Now, I, I would suggest that one thing we could learn from that, would, would you agree with this? I, I would suggest we can learn from this that no one, no one, is beyond the reach of God's grace. Isn't that wonderful to think of? No one is. Now, later this month, we're, we're going to offer a class by Zoom in our church called Six Steps to Talking About Jesus. I want you to understand this, the, this class is not designed to turn you into some kind of salesman for the Lord or anything like that. The, the class is designed just to help each one of us feel a little bit more comfortable at talking about other, with other people about our faith. And I, I can imagine that somebody might say, you know, I, I am not going to take that class. There's no need for me to take that class because the people who I know who are not Christians they don't want to hear about Jesus. The last thing they want me to talk about is my faith. They don't want to hear it. Let me ask you, how, how would you know? How would any of us know what God might be doing inside someone's heart? What questions they, they, might, they might ask? I, I would just say that, really, who, who are we ever to write off anyone, anywhere, as beyond God's reach? There, there's a well-known Christian author named... Um, Rosaria Champagne Butterfield, and if you had met Rosaria Butterfield in her late 20s, early 30s, um, 
you might have reached the conclusion that this, this is someone who will never, ever, ever come to Christ. Don't even talk to her. She will have no interest in this at all. And yet now, um, Rosaria Butterfield, in, in certain church circles, reform circles, she is one of the most sought after speakers and authors. Her life was just radically changed by the gospel. Her, her memoir that she wrote, it, what a great title. The memoir is The, the Secret Thoughts of an unlikely convert. And here's what she writes in the opening section of her book. She says, my memoir divulges the secret thoughts of an unlikely convert. I often wonder, God, why did you pick me? I didn't ask to be a Christian convert. I didn't quote unquote seek the Lord. Instead, she writes, I, I ran like the wind when I suspected someone would start peddling the gospel to me. How did someone like me end up in a place like this? Don't you wonder if maybe the Magi, as, as they were bowing before Jesus, pouring out their treasures, hearts filled with joy they had never imagined, don't you wonder if maybe they were asking that same question? How did someone like me end up in a place like this. Isaiah 65, verse 1, the Lord says this, I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. And I would say, that's what God did for these magi. He re we don't even know if they were looking for him, but he went looking for them. So God, God in this passage, God reaches the most unlikely of people and what intrigues me is he reaches them in one of the most unlikely ways end of verse 2 they say we saw his star when it rose and we've come to worship him now you know nobody's sure exactly what it was that they saw some have thought maybe that a comet appeared that year and they saw that or maybe there was a, a conjunction of planets like we saw recently take place or maybe some have thought maybe a, a supernova exploded somewhere in the universe and it finally the light of it finally appeared on on earth we, we don't know what they saw but whatever it is they're talking about this was most likely an observation that these magi made through their practice of astrology Astrology is when you look to the stars and the planets to let them give you guidance and direction in life. And, and I don't know if you, if you know this, but in the Bible, the practice of astrology is strictly forbidden by God. Astrology is really it's another form of idolatry. Idolatry is when we, we worship the creation rather than the creator, and that's, that's what astrology does. Astrology ascribes power and authority to the stars ra rather than acknowledging that power and authority belong to the one who, who created the stars, right? So astrology is condemned in Scripture. And yet, isn't this amazing? The way God reached these magi was through through this forbidden practice. It just, that just blows my mind. I'm thinking about God's mercy toward people. Rather than God saying to these pagan, these pagan astrologers, listen, when you clean up your lives and you rid yourself of all these, these, these uh, forbidden practices and these pagan superstitions, then you can come and you can, you can worship me. It, 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 instead of doing that, it's kind of like God just went to meet them where they were. 
I mean, that's where they were. They grew up with that. That's all they knew was astrology. Instead of God saying, you come to me, God went to them. And guys, isn't that what God did with all of us? I mean, isn't that what the gospel teaches us? The gospel says that instead of God in heaven yelling down to humans on earth, when you clean up your act and get your lives together, then you can come to me. Listen, the gospel says instead of doing that in the incarnation of his son, God came looking for us. God came to where we were, just like he did with them. So that's why I love this story. In this story, God in his mercy, he reaches the most unlikely people you can imagine. He reaches them in the most unlikely way you can conceive of. And why does God do that? I'll tell you why. Because God's mercy is expansive. It spreads far and wide. There's there's an old hymn that we used to sing in in the Methodist church that I grew up in when I was a kid. Uh, We're going to hear it at the end of this this service. And I just love the words to this hymn. Um, if, If you today feel like you're far away from God, or if there's someone that you love and it seems like they are far away from God. Listen to the words of this hymn. There is a wideness. There's a wideness in God's mercy, like the wideness of the sea. There's a kindness in His justice, which is more than liberty. There's a welcome for the sinner and more graces for the good. There is mercy with the Savior. There's healing in His blood. For the love of God is broader than the measure of our mind. And the heart of the eternal is most wonderfully kind. Don't we have an amazing God? His love, His mercy, His his compassionate heart just reaches to the farthest part of the world, to people who right now seem so far from Him. His mercy is so expansive. We also learn from this passage that God's mercy can be elusive. It it, it can slip through your fingers. You you can miss it. I I think we could say that if the Magi in, in this passage are the most unlikely people to come and worship the Messiah, then the most likely people to do that are those described in verse 4, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. The chief priests, the teachers of the law, these were the Bible experts. These were devout students of Scripture. These were people who had been thinking about and talking about and longing for and praying for the advent of the Messiah their entire lives. You'll notice here in the passage, when King King Herod asked the chief priests and the teachers of the law where the Messiah is predicted to be born, notice they don't have to go back to their libraries and do some research to to find the answer. They, They know it off the top of their heads. In Bethlehem of Judea, they say. And then they quote from, from the book of Micah, chapter and verse. They've got it memorized. So these, these are people who knew all about Messiah. They are biblically informed people. But notice here, when the Magi show up in Jerusalem and saying that they've seen this, this celestial sign that the Messiah has finally been born, 
Even though these teachers of the law know the Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem, as far as we're told, they never go to Bethlehem. They never go to see him. They just, as far as we're told, they just stay right where they are. Bethlehem, by the way, is less than six miles away from Jerusalem. You could walk there in an afternoon. They, they, they don't even bother to go. And don't you just wonder how in the world did that happen to them? Somehow it seems that these Bible scholars were mistaken into thinking that knowing about the Messiah is the same thing as actually knowing the Messiah. They're not the same thing, are they? Would you agree with that? They're not the same. They, they, they thought that studying God's plan of salvation is the same thing as receiving God's salvation. They're not the same. They, they thought that reading the Bible is the, is the same thing as, as meeting the one about whom the entire Bible was written. In John chapter 5, verse 39 and 40, Jesus was speaking to a group of religious leaders just like these men, and here's, here's what he said to them. He said, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. He said, these are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. And that's what goes on in this passage. At the very moment that these, these pagan magi, born in darkness their entire life, practicing the things that God forbids, at the moment when these magi are bowing before the Christ child with hearts overflowing with joy, these devout Bible scholars are just sitting at home, missing the whole thing. In Matthew chapter 8, Verse 11 and 12, Jesus uh, talks about this phenomenon, how sometimes people who are far away from God can find him, whereas people who are born very close to the things of God can miss him. And, and he says what I think are some of the most frightening uh, words in the Bible. Matthew 8, verse 11 and 12, Jesus said this. He says, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west. In other words, from far off pagan lands where people live in darkness, he says, many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom, we would say people who are born into covenant families, people who are raised under the teaching of the word, he says the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So God's, God's mercy is expansive. There's a wideness to his mercy. Listen, God's mercy reaches to the darkest place. It can, it can soften the hardest heart. It pursues the most unyielding sinners. Yes, God's mercy is expansive, but it can, can be elusive. If you or I, listen, if we, if we begin to trust in our Bible knowledge or if you, you trust in your religious pedigree, if you, if you begin to trust in how nice you are or how woke you are or, or, or your upright behavior, but you never, just in humility, seek the Savior. You, you could find yourself among those Jesus describes in Matthew 7. Matthew 7, verse 22 to 23, Jesus said, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. 
And so this passage just shows us that as great as God's mercy is, reaching to the entire world, guys, if you don't seek it and receive it by faith, it, it will never be yours. That great Protestant reformer John Calvin, he wrote this. He said, the first thing we have to realize is that as long as we are without Christ, nothing he did to achieve salvation is of any use to us. In order to pass on to us the blessings he received from the Father, he must become ours and live in us. He wrote, this is gained by faith, but not everyone lays hold of Christ's offer in the gospel. So, so I think the question, at least as I study this passage this week, the question that it raised for me, and I, I think it's a question that it asks all of us, is where, where do you find yourself in this story of the Magi? Where, where, where would you find yourself today? Are, are you with the priests and teachers of the law, you know, hearing about the Savior's birth? One more Christmas has come and gone. Yes, one more time we heard that the Savior has come. Are, are you with those guys hearing about the Savior's birth, but just a Ignoring the Savior? Are you with the priests? Or are you with the pagans? The magi? Just humbling themselves, bowing before this newborn king, knowing they don't deserve his mercy, but receiving it anyway by faith, just receiving mercy from God. Now, I realize that's a tough question to answer, isn't it? Where am I in this story? I think we need God's help to answer that. But one, one thing I notice in this passage, one one thing that strikes me about these magi is their apparent humility. The, the magi were, they were highly trained intellectuals, very educated scholars. Usually, often when people are highly trained and educated and they're used to teaching, they're just used to giving answers. They have the answers. But did you notice when these magi show up in Jerusalem, they're not giving answers. They're just asking questions. They're just, they're just walking. Where is, where is he to be born who's the king of the Jews? It says that the whole city of Jerusalem is disturbed. From that, I, I, it makes me wonder if maybe these magi were just going up to common people on the street everywhere, uneducated people, humbling themselves, saying, can you teach me where can I find the king of the Jews? Where is he, he to be born? So isn't that something that these educated men are just so humble, saying, I don't know. I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll ask anyone, where can I find the Savior? That's so different than the, uh, the other group of educated men, the teachers of the law. You notice? They don't ask any questions at all. I mean, these, these guys come blow into town from, from the other side of the world saying, we saw this star in the sky. Don't you have a million questions you'd love to ask them about the star? Even, even wicked old King Herod has questions about the star. But the chief priests, the teachers of the law, notice they don't ask any questions at all. They just give answers. As if somehow they think they're beyond the need to search anymore. So I don't think this passage should terrify us. I think it should just, in fact, it should encourage us that the mercy of God is available. But I do think it invites us as we enter a new year together with Christ to enter this year with a posture of humility, just saying, God, here I am. Would you teach me something new that I don't know? 
Would you teach me it through my brothers and sisters? Let, 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 me, let me enter this year with a humble attitude, not feeling like I've got it figured out, but just saying, where is, where is the one born king of the Jews? I want to see him more clearly than I ever have. I want to worship him. I want to know him. You, you know, there's a, a, a verse in the Bible. You find it several places. Proverbs, James, 1 Peter. I love this verse. It says that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So let's learn from the Magi to ask God to teach us to be humble. Just to come before him this year and say, I don't have the answers, Lord. I don't have the answers. But you do. Would you teach me? Would you, would you extend your mercy to me? Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that your mercy is so great. Your grace offered us in Christ that there is no sin that can stop it. There is no heart that can hold it back. If we humbly by faith receive your mercy, no matter who we are, no matter how far from you we might be, we are welcomed at your feet. We thank you for that. We pray, however, that you would, you would keep us from assuming that, that uh, we don't need that, that you would give us hearts that are open and hungry and searching, that we would receive mercy from you. In Christ's name, amen.